2: Thank you for joining me today and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach podcast. I am your host Barbara Savin and I am here to help you reclaim your power, your energy and your authentic self. You know, I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki Master and teacher, energy healing specialist, life coach and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch: The Beginner's Guide to Hands-on Healing. happiness and anything else that your heart desires because one day the world will tap you on your shoulder and say this is your time to shine and i'd love to right now bring my shining guests uh, on right now her name is allison welcome allison how are you today i am very good thank you so much all right. Well, before we begin our interview, I like to tell my listeners a little bit about Allison Pina, A.K.A. Bad Widow. She coaches clients to tap into their innate resilience and take back their lives after loss with telling stories, insights, and strategies. And after losing her husband to pancreatic cancer in 2016. Allison designed new ways to reengage, reinvent, and rebuild back to life, work, and even love. And her recently published book, The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again, is available to support anyone grieving and those who care but are unsure what to say or do. To support them so welcome allison ah how's the weather in new york city
1: (laughs) it's beautiful today it was raining in the morning but now it's cleared up and it's fabulous
2: you could bring the rain over to california we need it (laughs) that's
1: what i hear that's what i
2: hear ah so you know i i know you lost your husband uh in 2016 to pancreatic cancer i'm very sorry i just lost my uncle to the same thing and Mm. My husband's brother just passed away a week ago. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's challenging because you really don't know what to do, what to say. And um, it it makes it um, a little uncomfortable. You could say, especially those that you, you want to say something, but you don't know what to say to them. So I know, you know, with all your loss, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm, Getting back to to you now, um, why do you actually call yourself bad widow? I, I'm just curious for that one.
1: <laughs> Everybody asks that, and I think wow. it's so funny because um, I get a lot of pushback, especially mm-hmm. from people who know me. They say, "No, you're a good widow. You're a nice widow. You're a..." and I call myself bad widow because what I discovered after my husband died is that people have lots of assumptions about someone who has suffered a loss and is grieving. Um, and is when I was a widow, people had lots of ideas about me about how I was and who I was. And so they said and did things wrong a lot. Mm -hmm. And a good widow would just go along oh, thank you so much for your kind words. But in fact, a lot of people were doing things really in a way that was not supportive, in a way that made me angry very often. Because what happens is very often after, after this kind of a loss, you're treated like you're broken. I mean, certainly I was heartbroken. Oh, yeah. And certainly I felt like I was broken for a while. But being treated like you're broken doesn't really give you anywhere to go. Exactly. And if you're broken, then people want to rush and fix you. And that doesn't feel good Mm -hmm. for the person who's they're trying to fix or for the people trying to fix them. And so what what would happen is someone would say, You know, how are you? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't know how to answer that because I was with my husband 25 years. Mm, Long time. Yeah. So it was close to half my life. And they would say that. And I would think, How do you think I am? My husband just died in my arms at home. And I'm looking at this, my my whole life blew up. And I became significantly less capable. So my energy was really variable. So I couldn't make an appointment and count on having the energy to make it there. Uh, I couldn't remember things. I could put something down and have someone ask me 10 minutes later where it was and have no idea. And the memory might or might not come back. So it was really disorienting. And I couldn't focus on anything. So I was a consultant who couldn't work with people because I couldn't deal with people. I was uh, trained as a a proofreader and an editor, but I had no memory Mm
0: -hmm. and I couldn't
1: focus. So I couldn't do anything I was trained to do. And what happens is that when my world blew up, I was uncertain about so many things. I didn't know what my future held. And honestly, it didn't look good. Um, I didn't know who I was without my husband. So there were all these things that I had no
2: idea Idea about. And 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 what? No, uh, go ahead. Yeah.
1: And what happens is that then people jump in with what they think that they would want if. They were in your situation, but they have no idea, Mm -hmm. right? So they're giving you their best guess because nobody talks about this stuff. Um, And very often they're getting it wrong. So I had someone who said, okay, I needed financial help, emotional help, spiritual help, social help. (laughs) <laughs> every possible kind of help anyone could need I needed. And yet if someone said, you know I'm here for you uh, you know just let me know you what you'd want I would just think, I want my husband back mm-hmm. And I couldn't really think past that for quite some time. And so they would you know suggest doing something that I didn't want to do. you know I had someone say, well, you know, I'll, I'll help you financially, but you have to move out of your apartment. At a time when I could barely get out of my bed, mm-hmm. packing up and moving out of my apartment was not even Absolutely. a possibility. And my husband was a painter. So he left a studio, a separate studio from the apartment that he had been working in that building for over 30 years. So, hundreds of paintings, eight bookshelves. So Mm -hmm. I had to break this down and one of the most visceral of um, triggers is smell. My husband painted in oil paints and he cut it with clove oil.
2: Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So I'd walk into the studio, burst into tears. Every day for 11 months.
2: Wow. And that's one of his paintings behind you, right? It is. It's beautiful paintings. He's a very talented man. Beautiful.
1: Absolutely beautiful. But I wound up needing to bring all the paintings home. So the studio was about 500 square feet. I live in New York City. I moved all the paintings into an 800, 850 square foot apartment, which already had stuff in it, Mm -hmm. Um, which was complicated. You know, I I was very comforted having all of his stuff around and yet it didn't give me much place to carve a space for myself.
2: You know, he challenging for most people.
1: Yeah, it's challenging anyway. But I couldn't, you know, take his photographs and put them in a drawer. There are, you know, 52 of his paintings on the wall. There are another 500. All over the apartment still.
2: Wow. So you still have all of his all of his paintings around you. I do. I do. And
1: one of the questions that I really grappled with is uh, his friends would say, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to curate his legacy? And I would think I'm alive.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm still alive. I'm glad to curate his legacy, but I also want to actually live my own life life. for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, and this is something that, that people encounter
0: You know, because what do you do with that, you know? Um, So the
1: first year was this wasteland of grief. I could cry on a dime. There were days when I could barely get out of bed and there were days when I could go really fast. My energy was super variable. And I wound up having to create what I call nets for myself. You know, the day after I went out and I had forgotten to put on my shoes. Oh, I walked a block and a half in my slippers. And I only realized I did not have my shoes on because my heels got cold. Mm. And so I wound up with a sign next to my door. It said wallet, keys, coat, shoes. Oh, wow.
0: And because there were so many things going wrong, I had to just keep
1: looking at them and going, Okay, well, this really messed
0: up. What am I going to do to solve that? Because it will probably happen again. And so I created nets all over the place.
1: So for the energy thing, because when I was exhausted on the days when I could barely get out of bed, I couldn't think. My brain had literally gone missing. Um, I wrote every single solitary thing that I did and do in my life on a big piece of paper from, you know, brush my teeth to, uh, you know, reach out and call a friend to, write some things for content for my business. So every single solitary thing in every aspect of my life, I wrote down on this piece of paper. What that meant was when I was exhausted, I didn't have to think it up.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You just looked, you just read.
1: I looked and I could check in with, okay, well, how much energy do I have today? And when I had lots of energy, I went as fast as I could. And when I had no energy, I did one small thing because I needed to create little goalposts for myself so that I could feel like I was moving forward in some way. Cause it really felt like this morass of quicksand.
2: Which usually it does after a, a loss, because now, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of people around us, you know, lose a loved one. And sometimes they'll say to me, gee, he did all the bills. I don't even know how to write a check, or mm-hmm. he did everything around the house. What do I do? And we're so, we so we actually are very lost. Yes, you know, and and vice versa. If a husband loses the wife, you know, all of a sudden that loss, you know, she well, she took care of the kids, she did this, she did that, and, and now you you just you just really do not know what to do.
1: Well, exactly, and and there's not that. Much understanding of how many, especially if it's a spouse, mm-hmm. um, how many roles that person fills in your life. Yeah, until they're gone. Until they. And gone. then, and then you go. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And and even fundamentally, the person who comforts you and the person who cheers you on.
2: Yeah. Do you feel that sometimes people are there at the very beginning? and then all of a sudden they disappear?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because in terms of people who wanna support those who are grieving, and and we're coming up into the holidays, this is gonna be a really hard time for people who are grieving losses, especially in this pandemic time, because maybe you haven't seen that person for two years, Mm -hmm. and maybe don't know what to say, and maybe think, okay, well, it happened, close to two years ago, we just shouldn't talk about it. And so there's a real um, lack of understanding of how to deal with someone who's grieving in a way that's actually supportive. What happens is in the first month, everybody shows up.
2: Everybody. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, there's the joke about the casseroles.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You have so many casseroles, there's no way you can eat the casseroles you get in the first month in six months, right? Mm -hmm. And then they fade away because their lives are continuing on. And so one of my recommendations for people who love someone who's grieving is to set a schedule. So if you're part of the network that supports that person in life, set a schedule so that someone is calling regularly across and in fact I would say across two years.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. It is not a short time. The first year was a wasteland of grief and completely numb. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It didn't feel real that he was gone. The second year I could go zero to rage in about five seconds. And it wasn't like I had any control over this
2: yeah there's all different feelings it's it's the grieving then the anger and frustration and the victim i mean it it it's everything all rolled into one and we go through those stages as you said as the time goes on
1: yeah and sometimes they're all there at the same time so i had a very weird experience this year was the 5th year september 10th was the 5th year the week before september 10th this year i cried pretty much every day up until my husband died in my arms at ten ten in the morning, September 10th, 2016
0: for the whole week up until that time I was crying mm-hmm. that whole week, five years
1: after at 10, 11, I was fine. Mm. Absolutely fine. There's no reason to it. Just like takes you over,
2: takes you but, over, yeah,
1: yeah. And so people will say, you know, I didn't mean to make you cry. Calm down. It's like a tsunami.
2: Yeah, it just hits you hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you actually, you know, uh, handle some of these challenges?
1: Well, I mean, I had a lot of sort of occasions and anniversaries right after my husband died. So he died September 10th, October uh, 5th was gonna be our 20th wedding anniversary. Thanksgiving, his birthday is coming up actually, December 21st, Uh, Christmas, New Year's, all of these, you know, seven or eight Mm -hmm. big occasions. So what I wound up doing, I realized that what people wanted to know was that I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to know what to do for me. And they really had no clue. So when I was going to an event, what I wound up doing was calling the host and actually telling the people there that I knew privately, I might cry and it's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything for me. I promise you I'll take care of myself. Because they were worried.
2: Yeah, of course they are. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because they care. The thing that was so profound about this whole experience was how much people cared and how clueless they were about what to do.
2: Yeah, what to do, what to say, anything. I even find yeah. that myself. You, you just, it's words, you don't have the words to, other than, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. But then what else do you, do you say? It, it, it puts you in a funny, funny spot. Because
1: it really does.
2: Yeah, it really does.
1: And, and so here's another little piece of guidance. Very often what people do is they say, I'm here for you. Just let me know what you need. A person who's grieving doesn't actually know what they need. Mm-hmm. So what I recommended instead is sit down with that person and just talk with them about what's going on in their lives. What's what's happening? How are they feeling without judgment?
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And without jumping in with suggestions, just listen. listen. And then out of what that person said, make a suggestion of something that you could do to help. You know, so if it's a younger person with children who hasn't been able to take a shower and cry in the shower mm-hmm. because there's nobody to take care of the children and they don't want to frighten them, taking the children for three hours.
2: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: If you they're not comfortable going out by themselves, hey, would you like to go out and just have lunch with me? You know, so if you listen to what the person says, then you'll be able to hear what they need and offer that. And then that person is actually supporting the person who's grieving in the way that they need to be supported other than that person's best idea.
2: Right. Exactly. Because we we really don't know. No idea. Yeah. We don't know what's happened behind closed doors and what exactly they really, really, truly need, you know, need and you know, their feelings and their emotions. And, you know, again, like you say, feeling completely broken, because half of them is gone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the, the thing that makes it really complicated is, is the length of it. Mm-hmm. So you, you think, okay, well, a month, six months, a year, you're over it what typically happens for a widow at the end of a year and i've heard this for many 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 widows at the end of a year
0: people are like okay you back
3: mhm yeah
0: and there's this very american idea of bouncing back it's
3: hard
1: it's fiction mhm it's actually fiction so there is a point of demarcation when we grieve any loss So loss of a person, loss of a job or a business you love, loss of a home, loss of anything. There's a a point of demarcation where before that loss, you are one person and after you're different. Mm -hmm. And it's clearest when you've lost a person to death. But I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who was going through a really rough divorce And she was telling me about it and she said, oh, I shouldn't be talking to you about this because yours is so much worse than mine. And I thought, oh, my gosh,
2: that's different. Mm -hmm. This is
0: crazy. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I said, not for you. You're also heartbroken. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, it's different in that when my husband died, I would never touch or see him again. So that physicality really is gone. But the pain of any loss is pain.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And, and from my perspective, that pain needs to be honored for that person.
2: So do you feel people go through certain, the, some stages? you know, whether they lose a person or even a pet. Um, yep.
1: Yeah, what happens, so what I wound up doing, because I deconstructed my own experience to look for ways through that were healthier than what I could see around me. And so first I contracted, I couldn't see a lot of people, I couldn't do a lot of activities. And... The first action that I needed to do myself and that I work with my clients on was to just re-engage with life. Mm -hmm. Just add an activity, go out one extra time, just start bringing my life a little bit bigger again. Mm -hmm. My capacity
0: was still pretty small.
2: Well, did you feel guilty about doing that?
0: I felt
1: so living, I didn't feel guilty about expanding my life. I felt guilty if I experienced delight. Oh, okay. Delight or desire. Mm-hmm. So if I did something and laughed, I would feel like I was betraying my husband. Because he wasn't there to laugh too. Mm-hmm. Worse for desire, but any kind of joy would rise up the grief at the same time.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: We have this notion that joy rides on its own. If you've lost a loved one, if you're grieving something, very often the joy and the grief rise together. And there's nothing wrong with that.
2: No, no. And the thing is that it really, honestly, the person that passed would not want us to not live and 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 not find joy and peace and love and everything else and we people feel oh you know I I don't think he would want this for me well they're they're wrong because once they pass they're in a different place that you know um yep and and they would want you to be happy and, and not constantly cry and grieve over something that you you can't change once they're gone they're gone
1: yeah and which which is very clear to the head but not so clear That's to the point. heart yeah so, the heart
2: and the emotions mm-hmm. yeah
1: so there's a real disconnect there so i would logically i could tell myself well but he would want me to be happy which is true and yet it still felt like a betrayal
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So the second thing was reinvent myself Okay, because I wasn't the same person and we had been together for so long. So we had been together for 25 years uh, that after that length of time, there's more us than him and me.
2: Right. Right.
1: And so I had to disentangle that and figure out what I liked for myself what I'd given up when we got together because he liked it less. Mm -hmm. So I love open mics, open mic singing, open mic poetry, and he didn't. So gradually that just became less and less and less of my life. After he died, I took it back. Okay. He loved tennis. I didn't. I gave that up. So, but it was a real, you know, trying to figure out because I was in this place of real indecision. I didn't necessarily know what my future held and who I was or any of it. And so I had to figure that out. So reInvent was, okay, just try this, try that. And without judgment, figure out what I liked.
0: And then the last was uh, rebuild networks, rebuild support systems. People left. Mm -hmm. I was
1: not easy. I was in tears all the time that first year. I was angry almost all the time that second year. And it feels very shameful to be the one
0: people are always going towards to fix. Even if you feel that way,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you know the idea that you might not ever get
1: out of this place is terrifying.
2: Yeah.
1: It's terrifying. And so I would burst into tears or get angry or have a reaction. And then the person would go, oh my gosh, I got it wrong. And they would leave or step back. Mm -hmm. What winds up happening is both the person grieving and the people who want to support them or become siloed and distanced from each other because they don't understand the reactions. And the reason I started bad widow was because I thought, Oh my gosh, nobody is communicating here.
2: Yeah. They don't know what and, to, do to say or anything. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's not fun talking about this experience from inside it. Because I mean, I certainly made mistakes. I certainly acted like the victim, asked for help when I was in emergency mode. And the people who loved me would have much preferred if I had asked for help earlier. Except I was so ashamed that I was in this place that I couldn't help. But,
2: you know, here yeah. it was. Here it was. So what 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 steps did you actually besides reinventing yourself? to, to take back who you were, you know, and, and to help with this grieving and, and, and the loss and the anger.
1: Yeah, it was a matter of, of, um, so for example, I couldn't, um, I couldn't be a consultant. I couldn't be a proofreader or an editor, Mm. but I needed to sort of start becoming capable, capable of again you know, feeling a little bit more like myself again. And so I took a job in a a friend's pop-up shop, Halloween pop-up shop Mm. for ten dollars an hour. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't a lot, but it was what I could do. And one of the things that people get wrong is that they expect to be where they were before the loss. And it's not possible.
2: Not possible.
1: Yeah. But I could start from somewhere. So this is what I encourage people to do. Okay, well, this is your reality. I mean, it doesn't make sense to be delusional about the reality on the ground, but at the same time, you need to start building to be a person again. So the Halloween pop-up shop, once I decided I, I wanted to find love again, I was terrified.
0: I mean, the biggest betrayal to seek love. Horrifying.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because then you feel, how could you love again when you lost that one of all these years and you haven't been dating? It's scary out there.
1: I had, when I started dating again, the last time I dated was 1992 and it was 2018. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't looked the same, I didn't feel the same. I hadn't been out in the world dating. You know, I was with this man that I loved for so long. Um, and we we think of when we're young, we think of, oh, if the chemistry's right, then you know it's right. My chemistry said that Everyone was wrong who was wasn't wrong. my husband.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So if I wanted to be kissed and someone went to kiss me, I would have a panic attack.
3: Oh
2: wow. Yeah, I, I Ju- can see that happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Because the that person's lips did not feel like the lips that were were right for mm-hmm. me. That person's arm around my waist hit my waist in wrong place. They were the wrong height their skin didn't feel right and so this thing that we rely on when we are talking about love was completely
2: on the on the blank for me well yeah i could, I could definitely it would be for me to, i mean i'm married 52 years and we know wow yeah 55 and yeah um i probably would never date again to be quite honest yeah yeah
1: and and it's a choice i mean yeah. This journey is so individual for everyone.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: For me, I was in my fifties, mid fifties, and I thought, you know, I do not want to you live know. the rest of my life without love. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, I'm going to press through this experience. But you know, I was a mess. I How could burst it- into tears on a dime.
2: How long did it take you after his death? Did you? decide you needed to look
1: so uh he died september 2016 in 2018 i got on the 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 app probably in june of 2018 and i went on my first date july 1st 2018
2: and how did you feel i mean what did you experience
1: so frightened yeah so frightened and so frustrated because there was so much grief in opening up to love. And there was so much fear because I, I knew like in my bones what it was like to lose the love of my life. And so to risk that, to like deliberately go out there and risk that just seemed crazy to me, yeah. but I did. I did it. Did
2: the, the person that you dated, did he understand what you were going through?
1: Some did, some didn't. This one guy just kept rising to the surface. You know, he would put an arm around me and I would say, don't touch me, you know, and then I would have to explain. So it was really necessary that our communication. And I think that one of the things that I talk to with my clients a lot is that, communication really is the road to everything you need, you know?
2: So, so, so then if you're looking say, to, to, you know, for love, so do you feel that, you know, if you do go on a date, you need to tell that person how you feel, you know, and what you experience. And that if you yell at them, don't, don't touch me. It's, it's because you're just not used to this.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I went on a dating app. To do this because I wanted to, I had no idea, especially I had no idea what I wanted or needed in the area of love. And so by looking at people's profiles, I could say, Well, I like this, I don't like that. I wrote my profile to be very specific to me. Mm. So I did not care about the other person at all. I cared to find the person or the man or man. Who wanted who I was. And so, the way I saw it, my job was to describe myself exactly where I was as clearly as I could so that they could say, Yes, I want that, or No, I don't. So, one of the things that I did include was that I was a widow. Because if that was going to be a problem, I had very little energy. Mm -hmm. If that was going to be a problem, I wanted them just not even to show up. Right. Just don't even bother me because I don't have the energy to deal with you.
2: Um, Do you think they look at at, at a, a female or a male differently when, when you say you're a widow?
0: Yeah, it goes one of two
1: ways. So there are, are um, things that happen with widows. There's something called the widow effect especially if a, a widow doesn't have children that are counting on her in the four to six months after the person dies, especially if they've, they've been together for a while, it's very common to suicide. It's something to watch out for.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's so common that there's a name for it. There, the other thing that happens is something called widow's fire.
0: Because desire makes us feel alive. Mm-hmm. Women who are widows either just really want to be with someone
1: so that they'll feel alive again or
0: can't handle it at all.
2: And does it so it, it goes same for men? Do you feel?
0: Um, I don't know. I think that men typically miss. So if a man's
1: with a woman, typically the woman is handling all of the social aspects of their lives. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones setting up the dinner parties or getting together with people. That's typically something that the women do, which is why men very often connect with another woman fairly quickly. Mm, Okay. So, so I would say it it gets serious with men often much faster than with women. But these are, these are real things that happen for me. It was feeling betrayal for another friend of mine. She had this experience of widow's fire very strongly
0: and really was longing to be touched.
2: Um, do you do you feel that they then they they go through a lot of dates or they can they can um, do you feel that that by doing that it, it, they could get a little out of control you know whether it's male or female
1: i think it's super individual i think it's a time where um where there's such an experience of, oh my gosh. I mean, I literally would lie in bed most of that first year and think of a reason to be alive before I put my foot on the floor. Something mm-hmm. to look forward that <clears throat> forward to that day. Right. And sometimes it was a big thing and sometimes it was, okay, I'm just going to go downstairs and outside. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. But thinking of something that would be pleasurable delightful that day before I got out of bed. Because that first year, you know, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Um, what I really recommend if someone's going through this is to figure out who around you, you're comfortable doing different things with. Everybody's not for everything. Like who's the person whose shoulder you could cry on? Mm-hmm. Who's the person who would take you out for drinks to laugh? Mm-hmm. Who's the person who loves the same kind of exercise class? You know, and and so to really just think through what's needed and gather those people around.
2: Now, what about if um, let's say children that are grieving? you know, because they've Mm lost their mom or their father or even a grandparent, you know, or even a pet. Um, What do you suggest that they do?
1: It's a question of what they need. One of the very weird things that happens after someone dies is that people very often decide that they don't want to spark you into tears. And so they're just not going to mention the person's name. So there's this big grief inside of the person who's grieving and everyone around is acting like that person never
0: existed. And it's very disturbing.
2: It's very disturbing. Sometimes just to talk about it and, you know, talk exactly. about it and, and the, me- the good memories and the bad memories. I mean, just to get it out.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that you can do with children is ask what they, what they need, what they want. Mm hmm. Hey, you know, would you would you like to hear some stories about that person you lost or do you just want to sit here with me? Mm-hmm. You know, just be just giving someone a hug when they're going through something like that and acknowledging that it's real. Their experience is real and valid. The other thing is especially coming up on the holidays and I'm emphasizing that because here we are. Yeah. Um, Holidays are places and
2: events where
1: people are expected to be happy.
2: We're happy. We're together. And so, and I tell you, it, for many people, it's, it's not happy. Yeah. It's complicated, complicated, sad, complicated, sad, loneliness. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: You're with all kinds of different people. So some people might have a, a, have gone through the experience with you, what's been happening, other people you might not have seen for a year or two. And so as a person grieving, you're navigating all of this.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's really helpful to say what you, need. what you need. You know, I just need you, If I if I start crying about something, and it can be as little as a gesture that's like the gesture of the person you've lost.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It can be something that doesn't make any sense except to the person who's grieving. How do, you want it? How do you want me to handle it? Would you like me to come over and give you a hug? Would you like to be able to just excuse yourself if it's a holiday event and you just can't handle it? having yeah, permission
2: and yeah people need to understand that sometimes you just can't.
1: Right. I, I may, I may, if I can't handle it, I may excuse myself and just go into another room or I may leave. Please don't be offended. Right. It has nothing to do with you. Um, not trying to fix the person is huge. Not trying to make them happy is huge. Because even if you're telling jokes, they may laugh and be sad.
2: Yeah. And that's okay. Well, yeah, because there's all different feelings and emotions
3: and...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's a huge gift to let people be as they are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think it's sad when you know, all of a sudden you have all this company you know, in your home and then all of a sudden it just disappears and then you find mm-hmm. yourself actually alone yes yes i mean that's probably the worst thing that we can do to someone who's grieving is not staying not staying in touch with them
1: not staying in touch um not giving a phone call now one thing to recognize is that sometimes that person doesn't have the capacity to call back right but they do still appreciate as one who was there they do still appreciate getting the phone call because that phone call is like a lifeline connection to life itself.
2: Exactly. You know, I have a, a, a great cousin who lost her husband and he, he died at 90. Oh uh, No, mm-hmm. he was 94. And, and she's, you know, in her late 80s. And I uh, always make it a point at least once or twice a month to call her. Yeah, that's huge. hmm. And just to say hello, you know, how are you? What are you what are you up to? What are you doing? What are you reading? What what television show are you watching? You know, to, to just change the subject of, of going back to him so that her mind is is off of that, you know, for the for that conversation, you know. I, because I don't want to put her in the into the crying mode again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And at the same time, it needs to be okay if something that's said
2: provokes tears oh yeah which it does I mean it it, always does and that's fine and I understand
1: yeah it it doesn't need to be stomped down and it doesn't mean that anything's wrong right so what one of the things I made a point to to say was even if I cry I'm okay Mm -hmm. they're
2: tears they're water and salt yeah. And crying is good. We, we need to get, release, you know, what we're feeling inside the, the, if you hold it inside, that's when the depression, anxiety, and all that, you know, becomes overwhelming.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of my real recommendations is to move grief through the body. Uh-huh. So, um, fear, grief, anger, and shame. So we can live in that in our heads we have to move grief through the body. So for me, it's, it's singing, it's um, movement things. For some people, it's exercise. So talking and, and communicating in that way is important, but it's also really important to physically make sure that the grief doesn't get stuck.
2: Right, right. That, that's, I think, is, is the most important aspect because if it gets stuck, then, then you're actually, then you're stuck and you remain broken.
1: Yeah, and and the work that you do as well is about moving moving things through so that the channels are flowing again,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? So rather than
2: getting jammed up, um, how how did you actually manage? So did did you quit that job at at the Halloween store and get back to you know what you were supposed to do?
1: Yes. So eventually I began coaching again and I began, I'd been doing one kind of coaching and I began literally working with grief because I was in the middle of this and I was finding solutions for people and people were saying, Oh my goodness. I now understand why I've been grieving this person's loss for 40 years, for 15 years, Mm -hmm. for the, the remarkable thing about grief is how long it lasts.
3: It, it lasts literally a is a
1: lifetime. Mm-hmm. And yet people are ready for you to be done with it at a year.
2: Right. They, they say, well, how come you're not going out? Why don't you do something? And they, they don't understand. Maybe you're just not ready. You're not able. Yeah. So if it's taken a while, by the
1: time they're ready to come back, nobody's there to help them mm-hmm. and support them. So one of the things that I do is I understand this length of it. And so I'm the one who works with people at the point when they're at that tipping point. So they're ready to re-engage and they might not know how. Mm-hmm. Cause it's something that you have to
0: choose and it's hurt so much to be alive. for a while.
1: So I would, I would lie in bed. And in that moment, before I woke up, I could feel in my dream, the warmth of my husband at my back. Mm -hmm. And then I would wake up and remember he was dead.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And I was exhausted. I was sleeping in two to four hour sprints because he was sick for 11 months with pancreatic cancer and I would wake up and look over to make sure he was still alive Mm -hmm. over and over and over again in the course of the night. And so I was in this pretty bad sleep pattern anyway, but people would say, well, why don't you just take a nap? And I said, you know, I can't, I can't have my heart
0: broken more than once a day. Mm -hmm. I just can't do it. Um, so there are all these, all these
1: different strategies and tactics and things that I learned and and experiences that I went through myself that I now take clients through that are in the book
2: about wow. how to to move this, move this. That now, now, did you actually? Uh, I know you said you started dating. So did you actually find love again, or in six months?
3: Mm.
1: Once I was serious. in six months, because I was absolutely determined. Um, July 1st, I I went on my first dates. And actually, I had a date with this younger guy. And then that same day, this other guy, I reached out to him and I said, you know, I'm going to go see one of these two movies. And why don't we get together one day? And he wrote back and said, let's go to one of the two movies that I had suggested and let's have one day be today. And I thought, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I said. I was like, okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just kept rising to the surface. There was an occasion um, in maybe October or November. And I was a mess. I had all these anniversaries. I was crying a lot. And I called him up and I said, you know, you might just want to not see me until January. He's like, give me my space. And he said, okay. And then two days later, I called him up and I said, my cousin has a movie um, at MoMA, a premiere. And I'm going to go with my mom. Do you want to come? Two days mm-hmm. after I told him not to see not me. To till see January. <laughs> Uh-huh, this man, you know, I mean, he just kept hanging in there with me. And then, um, Christmas, we had been seeing each other, but we had not been intimate because I couldn't even imagine it. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten to the point where we could kiss without a panic attack. Mm. And we were thinking about moving in together. But we needed to know if it worked. Well, yeah, intimacy worked, and so we made a deal. And it was it was really a, a make or break. We made a deal that we would go away for the weekend to Terrytown. My mom lives fifteen minutes away, so if it went horribly wrong, yeah. I could just yeah go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and
0: the only promise was one room, one bed. Hmm. And i had been told by other widows that the first time after, you always cry.
2: Well, yeah.
1: You always cry. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to just have a good hard cry, and then it'll
0: be over.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Not what happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I cried through the entire weekend.
2: Oh, okay.
1: The entire weekend. And I was so not comfortable with my body. You know, I packed this this old navy, and I'm not going deeply into this, but mm-hmm. I packed this old navy jimmy suit from my, my wrists to my ankles. <laughs> I was covered.
0: <laughs> I went Mama. into the
1: bathroom to change red, red and white polka dots. And I came out and I looked at him and I said, is this okay?
0: And I just kept pressing, mm-hmm. you know, hitting panic. We have to stop, go for a walk,
1: go to the pool, go grab a meal and come back just to try and get myself through these, this grief, these feelings of betrayal
3: mm-hmm.
1: and made it through. And we moved in together and we've now been together for over three years.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: But the, the key to making it through was that I had to own my own stuff. I had to own that. If I, if I wanted to be kissed and he wanted to kiss me and I freaked out, that was me.
3: Mm -hmm. It didn't
1: have to do with him. Right. So, when I would have these, these weird reactions because we count on chemistry. Oh, if the chemistry's right, it'll all go smoothly. No, it won't.
2: No, it doesn't. Mm-mm.
1: I mean, you've been married for a while. You know that we we grow and change and flex and and you know the key to a long, good marriage is being willing to 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 bend and flex within it. Mm-hmm. And so our agreement was that I would just own it. And so I had to ask myself, is it me? Is it him or is it us? And I think that's really a key. Mm -hmm. And as as a result of that, our relationship is really strong. Because I had to be absolutely honest. Otherwise, it was going to go very badly wrong.
2: Yeah. And you realize that it was either you, him, or, or both of you, which was exactly, there was no blame or anything.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was Mm
2: possibility.
1: That was the key. Exactly what you're saying. There was no blame. Mm -hmm. There was okay. And, and, and the idea behind it, and this is really how I work. The idea behind it is what tells me what to do next. It's really a a key to how I work with people. So, okay, I can't remember when I'm exhausted. What do I need to do so that I don't have to when I'm exhausted and can still get things done?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, how does the communication go in the relationship? If I ask myself these three questions, then I know what needs to happen next.
2: Mm -hmm. And do you feel that most people find that challenging then?
1: Absolutely. Because especially early in relationships, we want to look good.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I did not look good. I mean,
2: I just. comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, we're self, you know, we, we look, then we, we say, gee, we could have, you know, maybe I should have lost weight. Maybe I should have done this, you know, because we feel embarrassed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And then that embarrassment causes us to, coat over what's actually going on
2: exactly yeah
1: and then you're not getting to know the person one of the one of the real side effects of Mm -hmm. grief is um what happens in grieving is that what matters rises to the surface
3: yes Mm -hmm.
1: and a side effect of that is being unwilling to settle so, after grieving, very often you'll find people much more willing to just let go of things they don't care about, much less willing to compromise on what matters.
2: What matter, yeah.
1: You know, they'll very often carve out a different pathway in their work or, you know, choose to, to raise up certain relationships and lower other ones. Mm hmm. It's really, really common. And it looks like this person is becoming becoming different, but in fact, the, the opportunity of grief is to become more yourself if yeah. you take it.
2: It's to take back your own identity. And yep. you know, do, do you think some women or, or men uh, try to get into like self-care and self-improvement, uh, things such as that when, when they lose somebody?
1: Self-care is really important. Um, We think of self-care. One of the things I did actually was I reached out to my friends because I couldn't remember anything and couldn't think of any self-care and desperately needed it. So I reached out to these friends on Facebook and I said, you know, give me all your best self-care ideas. And then I wrote them down. You're seeing a theme Uh and then I could look and I could say, oh, you know, I really do want to go for a walk today Mm -hmm. or I think I do need to schedule a massage or I need to go and talk to someone. I need to get a therapist. I need to, you know, it was all these different ideas, but they weren't necessarily all ones I had thought of myself. That's why I
2: crowdsourced it. Well, yeah, that's usually a good thing to do because yeah, it gives you a lot more ideas.
1: A lot more ideas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, self-care is critical. A piece of my self-care was singing. Ah, OK. So I, I sing. I've had times in my life where tragedies happened. I lost a, a brother when I was 25 mm. um, and I couldn't sing for a while. And singing is one of the ways that I move move grief through my body. Um, so it allows me to choose the song that's how I'm feeling right then and
0: move it through. Um,
1: when my husband was was dying for those 11 months, I attended two um, two workshops. And I wound up singing, um, three songs with a group, you know, we each had three songs and, um, I sang in the last cabaret show the Tuesday before the Saturday, my husband died in my arms. Wow. And the first song I sang was I am woman. Mm -hmm. And the last song I sang was the secret of happiness.
3: Oh, really?
1: And I am woman was to remind myself that I wasn't just a wife By and life. I wouldn't mm-hmm. just be a widow. Mm-hmm. And The Secret of Happiness is a song about
2: the importance of staying present. Living in the moment. Yep. Because we can't live in the past because it'll, it'll wear us down. <clears throat> and it, it's, it's the past. We can't change it. Hopefully we've learned from it. And uh, to not take it with us tomorrow. Exactly. Because then that's all that's energy that is, uh, it's heavy energy. And then how can you move forward if you're still holding on to that? And I, I, I feel it's so important to let go of, of yesterday. Of course, we, we remember, we cry or whatever the emotions may be, but not to hold on to it.
1: Yeah, I I think of it like clouds. Mm -hmm. So as long as you don't grip onto the clouds. Mm
2: -hmm. You watch it as it just floats right by. The grief can rise,
1: the anger can rise. Mm -hmm. And and if you resist feeling what you're feeling, they hang on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's important to
2: express what's there. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I always say, you know, just send it love and light and healing because it needs to heal. And yeah. so do we. And to send yourself love, light and healing. Because yeah. it's just so important to love yourself for who you are. And, and it's okay, whatever it is that you're feeling.
1: And and that emotions are not like happy and sad exist at the same Moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, the emotions are not, they don't come in one at a time
0: sometimes.
2: No, no, they don't. It, and I know, you know, losing my uncle just a few weeks ago, um, he would always call me after I'd upload a podcast and he'd say, Oh, wow, you know, I'm so proud of you. You did such a good no. job. And so now, you know, I'm uploading a podcast and I don't get that phone call. But then I say to myself, I know he's listening, and I'm I'm sure he's still proud. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and and that's what you have to I I feel move forward with, you know, and not linger with you know that that heaviness. So where where can you know my listeners get a hold of you and and your book? Yeah, so it's
1: super easy. Uh, badwidow.com oh, is okay. my website, mm-hmm. and you can. Order my book, which is The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again, either on Amazon or just off the website. Um, and that's the best way to find me. There's a lot of resources there.
2: There's a um, lot. Now, I have a, just a quick question. Um, mm-hmm. With all your husband's paintings, what, what have you done with them?
1: So I'm working on selling them. It's uh, really hard to let go of things after you lose a person. And mm-hmm. if you think about um, you know, letting go of, of clothing, just think of letting go of a person's legacy
3: mm-hmm. of work. Of work. Uh,
1: it's been really, really difficult. And so now I'm really to the point where I do not need the 546 paintings that are in my apartment.
2: It's a lot of paintings.
1: A lot of paintings, so I will keep some,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm working on selling the rest. And the links for that are, um, I think I gave it to you. The link for the gallery.
2: Oh yeah. Well, what you do is email me the links again, and, and then when we when I put this up, uh, which will be up next week, by the way. Um, oh great. Next Tuesday, uh, I'll put the links for that uh, on Spotify and Apple and uh, YouTube. So that if people are interested in looking at his paintings, you know, they can go on there.
1: They are beautiful. This one behind me is one of them.
2: It is truly a very, um, so he was a professional painter.
1: Professional painter. Okay. Yep. He sold his first painting for $50 when he was 10.
2: Oh, so he's always painted. Always. Yep. Wow. Yep. All right, uh one more time. Where can people find you? <laughs>
1: Badwidow.com
2: is where you find
1: me. And mm-hmm. I would love to hear from you if there's something I can help with. Please reach out.
2: Well, I'm you here. know, Alison, I, I thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And uh and I really hope that Whoever is listening, you know, if you are grieving, please look her up and and purchase her book. And I hope that um, that whatever it was that you needed to hear, that you actually heard today. And um, again, I want to thank all the listeners for listening. And visit me at motivateyourlife.net. Uh, and please subscribe to this YouTube channel, the Spiritual Warrior Coach. It's uh, on YouTube, Spotify all over. It's everywhere. And I also have another YouTube channel, just my name, Barbara Savin, And there I have some MP3s for relaxation, for grounding, for sleep, um, and anything else um, that'll help you uh, to heal. Uh, and for those of you maybe that are interested in learning energy healing, you know, check out my book on Amazon, the uh, Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. So again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you so much, Allison, for being a guest. And um, everyone have a beautiful holiday. uh, And always, you know, just put that love, enlighten, healing. And I'm sending everybody love, enlighten, healing. So again, thank you and uh, have a good one. Love, Barbara. Bye.